There was a name of a preacher, a British pastor, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. His name was Gypsy Smith. You may have heard that name before. But he was a preacher who traveled all over England, Europe, and America. And many people came to Christ through his revivals. He had this huge impact during this time period. And during one time, he was in Kansas City doing some services, doing some revivals. And after the service, he was sitting back behind the stage. And an old preacher came up to him and put his hands on his head and began to feel around. And half-jokingly, he said, I'm trying to figure out the secret of your success. And Gypsy Smith said, well, in order to do that, and he took his, the, the old pastor's hand and he began to move it down to his chest. He said, for you to do that, you need to know that the real success is found right here in the heart, not in the intellect, not in the head. And I thought this is a beautiful picture because the truth is, many times we do things, we go through the motions, we know enough to say the right things, when in reality, our heart is oftentimes can be far from God. And there's a war going on for our heart. There literally is a war going on. And when I talk about heart, I'm not talking about that thing that's beating your chest. I'm talking about the control center of your life, who you are at the core. And Jesus promised that rivers of living water could flow out of our hearts, that would, they would flow out of our hearts. And this is about power. This is about passion. This is about just praise and worship to God that's able to flow out of the depths of who we are. But oftentimes, our experience of that isn't so much of rivers of living water flowing. It may be like a drip from the faucet or maybe nothing at all. I do a Bible reading plan with some different people, and we're reading through the entire Bible in two years. And last week, came across this verse, these two verses in Psalms, and I was reading it in the New Living Translation. So I may, that may be the reason why I've never really noticed this, these verses before. But King David writes, Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I would have wings like a dove, that I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. I don't know about you, but it sounds a little bit like a panic attack to me, right? That King David, here this, what Scripture refers to as a mighty man of valor, a man of war, yet he's writing and just pouring out his heart that, the reality is, he's not big and tough as he may seem. That inside there is this fear, and in fact, this anxiety that was overtaking him. And I think it's important for us as we talk about the woman at the well and see how that she, who came across so tough and independent and even sarcastic at times with Jesus, it was hiding, and Jesus revealed this, it was hiding this heart that was truly broken, that was hurting, that was full of pain. And it was revealed through her quest in life to fill her thirst through other things, particularly men. And what I want us to do is allow the word from John chapter 4 today to penetrate that exterior that we oftentimes put forward, that exterior that says, I'm tough, I've got this, and get to the reality of the heart, which is, God, I need you. And God, when we come to him broken and humbled, that's when we're ready and prepared to be used by God. And so the success isn't up here by getting more information. The success is the fact that the information works its way into our 
core of who we are, and then we begin to live that out through dependence upon the Holy Spirit working in and through us. So as we look at the final of three messages in Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, let's allow the change that Jesus brings into her life be also the change that he brings into our life. So let's read verse 27 through verse 42. Let me pray and we'll work through this text. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It's our source of life. It's our source of strength. And for those who in here uh, understand that and they, and they have the heart that goes to your word each and every day for their life and their breath and their being, God, I pray that you will just reward them with these rivers of living water that are flowing out, God. And for those who are empty and they may know intellectually much of the word, but they find themselves very, very dry and maybe full of anxiety and pain and hurt right now, God, I pray that you will allow them to truly experience the promise that you made that they can have rivers of living water flowing from their innermost being. And God, I pray that you will use your scripture today through the Holy Spirit's power in a way that only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So verse 27 picks up the narrative, just as his disciples came back, then they marveled that he was talking to this woman, but no one said, what, what do you seek, or by, why are you talking to this person? Why are you talking to this woman? And so if you've missed a couple sermons, or you're not familiar with this passage, and you've not been here at all, by biblical standards, it's a long narrative, and let me catch you up to speed, all right? This area of Samaria, Samaria which is in Israel, was an area that back during the Assyrian conquest, give you a little history here, during the Assyrian conquest that the Assyrians took away the majority of the Jews into captivity. But when they did so, they left some of the Israelites, but they inhabited the area, area with Gentiles, with people who didn't believe God and worship God. And so during this time period, these people intermingled with these Jews that were left and when these pagan people came in, they brought their false religions, they brought their false gods, but like so many times, which can happen, instead of the Jews staying pure and worshiping God the way God said, they allowed their religion to mix in with this false religion and came up with this pseudo-religion, which was really no religion at all because they weren't truly worshiping God, we learned in this passage. So as you can imagine, the Jews consider these people very unclean, and they would avoid the, even traveling through Samaria if they could possibly help it. But we learn that Jesus, it says in, in this, the text, had to pass through Samaria. So although most Jews would reroute in one of the other two ways around Samaria, Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had this divine appointment with this woman that we've been talking about the last few weeks. And so Jesus is breaking all kinds of cultural rules. He's there, and he's engaging with this sinner woman who a rabbi, a teacher of the law, would not have been doing at this time. In his, in his conversation with her, she tries her best to avoid his attempts to get her talking about the true desire of her heart. Her answers are very evasive, and as I said, sarcastic even. But Jesus, in a very loving, caring, and strategic manner, I pointed out last week, was able to pierce into her soul by asking her questions, but that kind of trapped her into a place where she had to admit her true spiritual condition. She had to admit her need. And so Jesus had sent all his disciples away into town to buy food, 
and now he is engaging this lady, even though he's tired, even though he's hungry, and he reveals to her our last verse of last week. He revealed to her his true identity, which was he is the Messiah. He's the Christ who has come. And so 27, the disciples just at this point, as he's telling this, they're coming back to the well. They've eaten and they brought food or they're bringing their food and Jesus' food to eat. And they see Jesus in this situation and they marvel that he's talking to this woman. Jesus, what are you doing here? But they don't dare ask him. They don't say that to him out of respect more than likely. And so, verse 28, the woman probably sees the disciples coming in toward her. She's having this conversation with Jesus. It's a perfect time for her to exit. And so, verse 28 tells us that she heads back to the town. And in doing so, she's in such a hurry that it says in verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town. And she said to the people, so she's excited. She forgets her jar there. And she, verse 29, she says to her townspeople, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. She says, this guy's special. He can see into my soul. And she says, can this be the Christ? And so she's impressed by Jesus' ability, and she's wondering, could this person really be the Messiah that we waited on to come and deliver us? And so, of course, the townspeople, they see instantly this woman's acting a lot different than she did before, and they're taken by her power of persuasion, probably because of her passion about what she's saying. And so they went, verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him, to Jesus. So they're following this woman. They're coming out of the town to go and see what's going on here. But then kind of like a split screen or a movie, you split back, you go back to the disciples at the well with Jesus now. And what are they doing there? They're there. The woman's departed. They're there trying to get Jesus to eat. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And so Jesus, here he is. He's weary. He stayed behind. He's sitting at the well, right? And he chooses not to go into town. And so they're probably concerned for his health. They're like, well, Jesus, man, he's really out of shape or something. He had to stay behind here. But Jesus obviously had a divine appointment they didn't know about. They come back, they are right in the middle of this conversation. And Jesus is using this opportunity to teach his disciples about priorities. He's going to teach them about what really, truly matters. And you got to think about the disciples for a second, okay? They've been being taught by Jesus for a while now at this point. They're supposed to be the spiritual ones following Jesus and doing what Jesus has commanded them. But they go into town, they buy their food. Apparently, they do nothing spiritual while they're in town other than they just buy their food, they head back, and here they are coming back alone. They're not bringing anybody with them. But you have this Samaritan woman who obviously, she's been impacted to the point where she is bringing back because all the disciples can get their mind around is, like, I got this hunger, right? I got this desire. I need to be fed. And Jesus, you need food. And obviously, we know that we have to eat, we have to be nourished in order to survive. But the priority that Jesus is pointing out to them is all human desire must be held in submission to a greater purpose, which is doing the will of God. Let me say that again. All human desire must be held in submission to a greater purpose of doing the will of God. So we're just like the disciples. I sure am. I can so many of the times get my needs, my desires, my agenda 
in front of the true priority, which is God's agenda. I don't have my spiritual eyes open to my surroundings because all I'm thinking about is my next meal or my next conversation or my next priority that I need to do at the store or at wherever I'm at. So it's all about what I want. And this scripture, Jesus is teaching them that while we have real hunger and we really thirst and we have needs and Jesus himself got weary and tired, the truth is there's bigger priorities that we have to deal with when God reveals those to us. And Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, John reveals lots of metaphors that Jesus uses. And what does Jesus talk in metaphors? Well, metaphors just have this special way of allowing these truths to really get into our soul, that we can see these deeper hidden things that maybe we couldn't see before, and these spiritual connections that we can make through the use of metaphors. I love metaphors. Metaphors, I used to think in my younger day, like, why give metaphors? Like, don't give me an example. Just give me the truth. Just give me the facts. And, and so many times that's what I wanted. But as I've gotten older, I see that metaphors, Jesus used them because they just allowed his teachings to come to life to those who were truly interested in knowing his truths and following his truths. So Jesus, in verse 32, uses this metaphor, and he says, to them, like they're trying to get him to eat, and he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So he tells his disciples that his ultimate sustenance comes from doing the will of God, not from just eating food. His food is the taking and doing of the will of God, seeing the will of God, doing the will of God. And verse 33 then, the disciples said to him, said to one another, has somebody brought him food while we were gone? Has somebody brought him food to eat? And so they're still thinking physical. They're still, their minds are not. I mean, Jesus gives them this picture, this illustration, this metaphor, but they're still stuck in one way of thinking, which is the physical, right? Jesus has got to be hungry, and if we brought our food with us, we're sure hungry. We're ready to eat. We don't really care about this spiritual food, Jesus, you've got going on. Has somebody brought you something? Maybe that's why you're not hungry, because we're really hungry. You're not hungry, right? What's the deal, Jesus? And so Jesus has to help them, as he often does, explains the metaphor to them. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, them, my food, okay guys, here's my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus defines it for them. My food is consuming the will of God, all right? Just like you're consuming food for energy and to get that boost you need, I'm consuming God's will because that gives me the energy and the boost that I need. That's my nourishment. And so although he was tired and weary from the journey, God's will in ministering to this Samaritan woman gave him the energy that he needed. It provided energy for him. So think about your life for a second. You've been created to glorify God and to enjoy him. And so we glorify God, one way we do that, one of the primary ways we do that, is by doing His will. And in doing His will, we experience great joy in that. Illustration. Throughout my years of ministry, I ran across so many, what I would say, Christians who were marginal or lukewarm, a bit lukewarm, and really never stepped out to ever tell anybody about Jesus but then all of a sudden, like, this situation or this person, like, just, like, it smacks them across the face. Like, somebody asks them, like, tell me about Jesus. Or, like, what is the gospel? You go to church all the time. What, what do you do there? And so they're, like, 
hand-delivered this incredible, easy experience to tell somebody about Jesus. But it never fails. When that happens, the people get so excited, and they come back to me like, you'll never believe this. You'll never believe this. And they tell me about these people who they told the gospel to, and maybe they responded to the gospel. And they just had this fire, this excitement about their faith that they never had before. Why? Because doing God's will is nourishment and food for the soul. And so what does that tell me? It tells me that if we're content with just living our life the way we want to live it, if we're truly a believer and the Holy Spirit is in us and we're not following His will and doing His will, that we're going to be miserable because we're malnourished, malnutrition. We don't, we're not taking in what we need for our soul's health, for the life of our soul. And so that's why we become stagnant, because there's no river flowing out of us. It's sitting inside of us, and it wants to come out. The Holy Spirit wants to use us, but we're content with just going through the motions spiritually. But Jesus' food, he says clearly, was to do the will of the Father. And so he was willing to give up physical food for a time being because of his priorities. And you remember the woman, she left her jar? Like the whole reason she went to the well was to get water, right? She leaves her jar behind. Why? Because there's, she's so much more excited because there's a deeper thirst that's being met other than drinking, it's a, it's a thirst in her soul for what she was created to do, which was to know God, to glorify God. And so if your life is, is parched and dry, ask yourself, are you like the pastor who said to Gypsy Smith, what's the secret up here? And you can spit out a bunch of facts and a bunch of truths because you've been in Sunday school since you were two years old. But your heart is where it comes from. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, Jesus said. So it's about priorities. It's about focus. And ultimately, I think it's about humility. It's about getting out of the way so God can work through us, no matter what we're doing. And that's why I resonate so much with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So you've got to eat, you've got to drink, but even the simplest things can be used for God's glory, and we don't let the food and drink get in our way of the true priorities, but they can be even avenues to use for God's glory to follow His will and lift Him up. How? How do we do that? Hospitality. I'm going to eat for God's glory. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to eat with people who I need to get to know. I'm going to be, they need to be part of my life and our community, and they need to experience this. Or fill by night. We're going to eat and drink for the glory of God, right? I mean, people are going to come to this campus, and we're going to give them soup, and we're going to give them chili, and we're going to give them cookies, believe it or not, for the glory of God, right? I mean, we're going to do this for God's glory to not just give them food that fills their stomach, but for living water, which will satisfy them forever if they're willing 
to receive it. And so we eat and drink for the glory of God to truly live, to have joy, to have purpose in life, do we do it for God's glory? And so I think it's, it's very similar to hunger pains. This emptiness, this, this longing, these, as Christians, as we deal with like fits of anxiety and, and discontentment and even what I would just pedestrian depression, just like just the, the normal flow of life and you just feel blues, I would ask you, is Jesus and his will a priority? Because maybe there's some of the problem is the fact that you're not living for his will. And you're not looking for opportunities to follow him. And so you've lost your purpose and you've lost your direction in life. And God says, I, I, got you to, I need you to raise up your head and look. We're going to see that verse in a minute. Because there's work to be done. And you've got a job to do in this. Look what he says in verse 35. Do you not say... There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Well, I've got a different timetable. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Yeah, these people, they knew the rhythm of agriculture. They knew the time frame. Farmers knew the right time to harvest the crop. And Jesus is saying, okay, guys, you got your food in hand. You got your chicken leg. You're ready to eat. Look around. And I can just see them physically just turning around. And all of a sudden they see just a flood of people coming to the well. And they're probably, a few of them might be thinking, I'm going to finish my meal first. Like, I'm hungry, right, before we deal with these people. And he's like, look, the harvest is there. And, and i got to wonder, and I read one commentator who said, because oftentimes during this day people would dress in white robes and have white hair, a headpiece on, and so it looked like a harvest just moving toward them there at the well. And so what a beautiful picture here is. They're eating and they're ready to go. And Jesus says, hey guys, there's the harvest. There's where we need to be focused. And so the crowd's coming. And this unlikely evangelist, the Samaritan woman, is the reason why they're coming. Look at verse 36 through 38. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Okay, that's a mouthful. What's he saying? He's saying, I labored, with the woman. The woman labored. She went into the city, into the town, and told everybody she was the evangelist that you weren't when you were there. So you, they, we did the work already for you, disciples. Here they come. It's time for you to reap the harvest. Let's do ministry with these folks. Let's tell them to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's let them know of the Messiah and what he's come to do. Because one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap. Here, I'm sending you to reap what you did not labor. And these verses tell me we all have a job to do. One sows, another reaps. God gives the harvest. He gives the increase. And what does that mean practically for us? 
That means that, truthfully, you've been there, maybe you've done that, you've, you've given the word to somebody and they're like, turn, you know, deaf ear, I don't really want to hear that. You've tried to live the life, you've tried to be uh, uh, just a responsible, uh, honest employee so that others would see your behavior, and you've really never made any grounds for the gospel. But then you hear a year later this person who moved on, and they all of a sudden you find out that they've turned to Christ. They put their faith in Christ. And sometimes the human side of us thinks, ah, what, what, what did I not do right that they did? What's the secret of your success, right? Well, the secret of the success is the heart, and God's the one that changes the heart. And he's the one that does the heavy lift, lifting. And so we're, we're faithful in the role and the place that God has put us, but that's not passivity. That's not just waiting around, God, bring me somebody for me to witness to or share Christ with or be a good example to. It's engaging. It's, it's, it's looking and seeing that the harvest is ready to go. Are you going to engage in it? And we're going to sow, and sometimes we reap. And the disciples were about to harvest a gospel crop for which they did not sow. But sowing and reaping are both essential gospel works that we have to be ready to go at all opportunities. And most of the time, just like you, I get so stuck in the physical realm of life that I don't see the spiritual realm at all. Sometimes the war in my heart, I fail just like you do, oftentimes where I'm just focused on the stuff or the food and I'm not ignoring the harvest that's there. What needs to change? There has to be a dependence upon God. It has to be a daily, not just, I did my quiet time, check, now I do my life. But it's just God working in us and through us. And us being aware that he is working around us. In me, through me, and around me. And so it's a mindset, it's a humility, it's a focus. It's about priorities. It's getting out of the way. It's... Instead of just making a beeline to the door, it's, hey, I don't think I've met you before. Are you new here? Or, hey, you did Advent today. I don't think I've ever met you. Graham, I'm John. Kelsey, I'm John. Good to meet you. You see, we can just, got to beat the crowd to lunch. Got to get there first. Physical food. Or we can say, spiritually, God, let me look around here. Let me see where you've placed me what ministry there is to do. So let's be aware and alert and seize the opportunities as gospel ambassadors. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So what an amazing twist in the story, if you've been here the last few weeks. God's grace changed the life of this well-known sinner and gave her a platform to bring many people to Jesus. But the disciples, who were being trained, they were Bible school trained, seminary trained, right? They were sitting at the feet of Jesus, but they didn't get it. But a woman who God supernaturally put in touch with her thirst through the strategic words of Jesus, she runs back into town and she tells everyone. And so this unlikely midday conversation with this puzzled, often confused, outcast woman who's just trying to just get through her day and just survive, so to speak, the Holy Spirit works 
through the gospel witness. Look at verse 40 through 42. So when the Samaritans, this flood of people, came to Jesus, they asked Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The first evangelist to the Samaritans, a Gentile sinner. And many, many people believed. God opened her eyes. God's grace appeared to her. And she went out and spread with a passion and excitement that drew others. As we button up this section of John chapter 4, I just can't help to remind you because we're guilty of this. Who's the living water? Jesus. Jesus is the living water. Well, actually not. John 7, Jesus defines the term. Let me just read it for you again. It's not going to be on the screen. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then Jesus defines it. Now this he said about the Spirit, about the Spirit that was going to come and dwell in every believer's heart. So water, the living water, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit flowing from our hearts. That's the living water. And so, for the head application of this sermon, Jesus promised, not me, Jesus promised rivers of living water flowing out of us through the Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water flowing out of us. So the heart, ask yourself, really, literally, ask yourself right now, is it more of a drip? Is it an occasional flow? Or is it rivers of living water just pouring from inside of us? There's a man, his name was Darren Patrick. Anybody heard Darren Patrick, that name before? Darren Patrick, guy with sound theology, solid theology, pastored several different churches, walked in the circles that I like to read and watch. And he was even, in, in Pastor John Piper does ask Pastor John, some of you have looked at those. I actually provided the link for this one I'm going to read from in your sermon app today. But listen to this quote. This is John Piper talking. He said, At the recent conference for pastors, Darren Patrick was urging pastors to seek to move beyond private circles of believers. And he just gave one example. And there was nothing new about this. It wasn't even original to him. He was quoting someone else. But it was still refreshing to me, Piper says. It made a difference even yesterday as I walked into Precision Tune to get my car, the oil changed. And here's what moved him. Darren Patrick said in his sermon, when you walk from, from, from one room to another, it might be from the kitchen to the living room, it might be from the sidewalks, sidewalk into Starbucks, it might be from one aisle over to another aisle in Target. He said, ask yourself this, and this is the hands application, what is God doing here? What is God doing here? What a great application. What a way just to lift up our chin and look around. God, what are you doing here? 
in this situation, on this aisle, in this Starbucks, in this Target, in this room, as I leave worship today? What a great word, what a great message. But there's more to the story, sadly. Darren Patrick, pastor, spoke in front of thousands, took his own life a couple years ago, 2020. You see, you can have all the head knowledge in the world, but if it doesn't work into your heart, there's issues, there's problems. And clearly, there was some disconnect at some point for Darren Patrick. But you know what? I'm not above that, and neither are you. And we all put on our smiley faces, our Christian veneer. We act like we got it all together, but we're a lot like King David. That inside, so many times we're torn up, we're scared, we're nervous, we're angry at the world. And God says you're focusing on the wrong thing. The harvest is plentiful. Lift up your head. Quit looking at yourself and dwelling on yourself. Humility, you've heard this before. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself just less. Don't think about yourself so much. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, this eating and drinking, and whatever I do, this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a gospel-focused life that takes your eyes off yourself. And yes, that's a fight. It's a battle. It doesn't like, okay, I took my eyes off myself. Now I do life. It's a constant battle. And it could be good things. Oftentimes it's good things. Like, I want to eat this meal. I don't want to deal with that. We'll get to them in a minute. Let me finish. I'm starving. God says, my will is your nourishment. My will will give you much more than just going through a meal or eating a snack or even drinking water. That's what you need. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit working through us. The woman experienced that, and it changed what she did. Unashamed, she went into town. Is that that center woman? You'll never believe who I met. I met Jesus. She didn't know a lot of really fancy theological things to say, but she said, I know Jesus. Could he be the Messiah? Come here for yourself. And we can all do that. The question is, will we?